What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Dream Chasing 101 podcast. Today, we're going to be um, chatting to someone who, if you're on social media and have been following the news, especially here in South Africa, you've probably seen his work. And I'll leave it up to Emil to give us a bit of background to who he is and what he does. Hey, man. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, so my name is Emil Bosch, and I work for Times Live and the Sunday Times. Um, where I fulfill the role of, of a multimedia journalist where I'm predominantly focused on um, video. Uh, this would be for fast news and feature work. Um, and then I would also double up as a stills photographer, um, a copywriter, edit the video, pretty much everything rolled into one. <laughs> but, uh, a jack of all trades. <laughs> a jack of all trades, hopefully not a master of none. <laughs> Now I've seen your work and I think you've you know you've been doing a really great job over the past especially over this past you know five six months where news has been uh, such an important role of many people's lives but you know with with that being said you're currently in this position and we went to high school together for a bit so back then did you ever picture yourself being you know a multimedia journalist? No I can wholeheartedly say no um I can also wholeheartedly say that I'm no longer the same person from high school anymore. <laughs> um, this is my life's been shaped and changed numerous times, um, and I'm finally comfortable in it. Um, so a bit of history, just I think it's it's my story is a bit different to others. I didn't traditionally get into journalism. Um, I finished school with pretty good marks, um, and and I went off to study law at WIT, uh, where I did three years. Um, and was really quite unhappy with what I was doing and where my life was going. Um, since 2013, I've been working, I'd worked as a part-time job as a gaffer or a runner, whatever you'd like to call it, for the Reuters cruise. Uh, notably, 2013, I did Nelson Mandela's funeral, which was my first brush with journalism, and that was in itself a massive story, probably one of the biggest stories of the decade, you know. Um, and, yeah, and then I built a relationship with uh, the senior producer Africa at Reuters and um, he's become like a father figure in my life and he took a chance and gave me six months a six month internship and yeah and then I kind of yeah then now I've grown into who I am I suppose and my career would you say that um, this has in, in a way it's kind of come you know just with going with the flow like you didn't really think about it too much. It kind of just happened and it unfolded, you know, right in front of you. At, at first, at first it did. At first, um, at first I was lucky enough to get this internship. This is, it was a privilege that not many are afforded, you know. Um, yeah. And there I got to learn from some of the old dogs that are like legendary in the field and uh, le uh, legendary in the industry. And... Um, following that, and I f when I freelanced for a while and... Um, a lot of work for Reuters, but I, I kind of, at some point, it just clicked, like, I need to, you know, you have to work to get the results. You have to work to um, get where you want to be, and you'll never, you'll never be happy. You'll never be satisfied um, with your work. <laughs> That's, I don't know, maybe we can speak about that a little bit later, but um, yeah. you're always learning. You're always, you're always kind of taking on moments, taking on 
information and stuff that can kind of build you as a journalist and as a better person as well. Um, so there, there is definitely an active kind of, um, you have to actively kind of work towards it as well. <laughs> and, you know, you, you speak about uh, going to VITS and, you know, pursuing law at that time. Did you do any qualifications um, journalistic specific or journalism in specific or did you kind of just learn throughout that internship and use experience as like your education experience is the number one teacher um, you can plan you can study you can research um, when you're on the ground and you have to there's so much to consider and nothing ever really goes how you'd envisioned it um, so, so yeah, I've, I personally, I've only, I've only got experience, nobody else in my position in my company, they've all got masters and everything in, along those kind of lines, but yeah, experience, I mean, I've had lucky enough to have experience across Southern Africa, um, I've covered some really big global stories, um, I've worked on independent films in Germany. Well, I've worked on an independent film in Germany, and through all these experiences, I've felt comfortable enough to, uh, if I had to leave my job, maybe apply for somewhere else. My CV would be strong enough because of all the experience. And yeah, that's the uh, experience will teach you what a lecturer can't, as much as I think people should go study. For me, it's pointless. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go and study journalism now because it's. You've already kind of accomplished or like. Um, gotten most of that knowledge through through the experience exactly um, but I mean in saying that it's also constant learning for video I'll I mean I'll do, yourself is also a visual person I'm sure you'd know that yeah. you can literally go on YouTube and you can teach yourself um, After Effects you can teach yourself uh, Premiere Pro um, which I wouldn't have to do now anymore because I do know it but um, there's always things to learn. It's if to better my writing, I would read. I'd read literature that works towards that, or books that work towards that. Um, yeah. So you, a lot of self-teaching for me. <laughs> Did you ever get, um, especially in this field? You know, there's always it's a very tight knit kind of field in in terms of the creativity. So photography, video. Did you ever get? treated in a certain way like because you don't have the for instance the qualification that some people have did you ever get looked in a different way at first or did you kind of just get accepted uh, not really um there's there's a lot of people with uh, limited to no no um, qualification not so much anymore but uh, you'd see in like a lot of the older guys because people people understand that it's uh you have to learn, you know. Um, there's there's a time when you're just learning where you can almost feel like a burden upon the person that you'd be out in the field with, like during my internship. It's like, yeah. okay, how do I do this? How do I how do I go about this? Um, and nobody really looks down upon that because you understand. I mean, now I've got interns. Um, and, yeah. like, I don't look at them any differently. They're also just trying to learn. Um, they if I can teach them something and help them in the way that I've been helped, then sure, then I'll happily go for it. It would be completely deconstructive, I think, in any industry to to go about it like that and look down upon others, specifically in ours where people is your main, like people are your main focus, you know. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, sometimes you get the, especially when you don't study for it, there's always the people that make you feel, and I suppose this is where like imposter syndrome comes from. It's like you always feel like you're not really that qualified. Um, so I feel like, especially in the creative industry, because there is no, it's all subjective, you know, like everyone sees it in a different way. But I want to kind of go into why photo and video, like why choose that, especially in, you know, the, the journalism industry, or do you feel like you were, you know, with this internship, you were thrown there and then you kind of just learned to love it? Or has this always been, you know, kind of where you wanted to go in this field? So I think, um, as as much as I love words, I love I love um, I love good journalism. Um, I mean, it's even to the point where like I'll pay for the New Yorker or I'll pay for the New York Times and I'll read read their journalism. But photography and video for me is the purest form of journalism because you can't make that up. You can't. I mean, you can yeah. edit video. You can make it more enticing to your viewers. You can you can. Um, you can kind of you can play with it, but at the end of the day, that's what happened. That's what happened there in front of you, and um, often you'll come across, like people. People will almost be astounded. Um, like in Alderado Park a couple of weeks ago, um, I'd caught a moment where the police officer was. He, they fired live rounds at us, and um, well, at the police when we were unlucky enough to be there, and uh, as we were coming out. Um, out between the flats, the the police officer said, "Like I'm gonna go fetch my rifle and kill him." Um, but just prior to that, he'd said he's firing live rounds, um, mm. and that happened. I'm not gonna leave that out, you know. Um, that happened because I'm filming it on on a camera. Um, it's 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 a lot it's a lot more difficult to make these moments um, as powerful as they should be with with just uh, your words. Um, not that I'm taking away from any writer. I mean, words are, can be just as powerful as long as you've got your verified sources and um, everything is credible and can cannot be disproven, then that's fine as well. But does it have the same impact? For me, not so much. Um, some like de- detailed investigations and so on, sure. Um, but if specifically with hard news and if you're doing really in-depth feature work, which could be described as short documentary work, then, then yes, then video. And I'm also just a visual person, man. Like, uh, I, I, I see my life. I see life in images almost. <laughs> I, I always yeah. have. I've, I mean, I, to this day, my dad still shouts at me for losing his Leica film camera in Frankfurt when I was a kid. You know, um, those go for quite a pretty penny nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Expensive, expensive loss that. <laughs> Exactly. Has you know the, you know since you've uh, started working for a news outlet and seeing you know the country through that perspective as a journalist, how has it changed the way in you know the way you view the country? Do you see it through a different lens now? Um, oh, that's quite a tough, tough question. Uh, our country, it's it's. I mean, it's also kind of so it's a double-edged sword. Um, I get I get a I get a front seat to all the tragedy and all the pain and grief and all the terrible things in our country 
but at the same time I get a frenzy to all the beauty and all the the joy and moments that um that a lot of other people wouldn't wouldn't really be able to see you know and, and on both sides of it access to places where people don't go access to people that people can't speak to you know um so at my South Africa is a beautiful place there's there's so much beauty but there's so much wrong as well but my um my career I have to be in my career I have to be objective and that's how I still see our country in an objective way um I don't I don't get too deluded by what I see because it's too complex to just put a to give it a blanket statement you know um to view it differently I I wouldn't even know where to start would you say you know being a journalist you need to pull the emo- emotion away from it because you need to like you said you subjective you're there to I mean you're objective you're there to accomplish and tell the story through as unbiased opinion as possible yeah so i mean when it's, it's the, the first thing for me is you you can't you you can't make the story about yourself um you yeah. i mean your names on it and what not it's but like if you if you out there thinking oh i'm going to get famous and um um my name is going to be on this story then in my view and some others might feel like that that's not the way to go about it it's not about you it's it's about just it's about the story it's about the people um a perfect story is told without any graphics with text without any voice over because the people should be able to tell their own story and in that way you've also kept it as pure as possible now this is a, this is living in dreamland because you can't always do that um yeah. but you do, yeah you you have to you, you have to disconnect from it at some point because if you empathize too much um it can weigh on your soul um it can weigh in your thoughts it can weigh on you and it can take a lot out of you but at the same time the best stories are told with empathy um if you and this is something I'm quite guilty of I feel it I feel I feel people's pain I feel people's joy I I uh I could think back on it I remember it um it shapes me but at some point you have to also say enough is enough I can't I can't think too much on it I can't empathize too much on it otherwise I'll just lose my mind you know <laughs> Yeah that that's like from the outside you know we always consume media as and it's like most things we don't really think about you know when you watch a really good movie you don't really think about the director and the producer and the cameraman who filmed it so you you just consuming the final product and it's always interesting when you see for instance cuz i follow you on social media i do kind of get to see the behind the scenes a little bit when you do have time to share those kind of things so it's always interesting just to find out the the bts like what's going through your mind because like some of the situations are quite quite hectic. Yeah, so I mean in that sense um well here's a good example. So yesterday I was in um Lawley which is just south of Johannesburg. Uh there were reports of mass protests um this in line with red anti-vaccines planned for Thursday this week. Yeah. Um 
And I mean, I got there and I'm trying to, I was trying to link up with a, a colleague, not for the same company, but a fellow journalist. We were the only two people there. Um, so he'd sent me a live location and I kind of drove straight into about 300 protesters um, and got caught in the, the, the cop, the, well, the police were kind of pushing back. Um, and anyone can tell you that's a situation you hands down don't want to be in, you know? Um, yeah. Because you, if you get to these hostile environments, as they're called, um, the, like there's so much to think about. You've got your job to do, but you almost want to get there and kind of park far away so that your car is safe and move in like, so that you can also get like a sense of what's going on, where the opposing forces are, whatever, um, and carry about, about your work. Um, and after I got caught in there, this police officer... Like, I mean, I jumped out the car, strapped on my bulletproof vest, helmets, like all of that, because you're alone, there's nobody to watch your back. Um, and I had a good joke with the, well, the police, one police officer came to me and he was like, you know, everyone's always like looking at um, the people that, um, like they're looking at the protesters and the police, but like, do they realize that you guys are here um, going through everything with everyone? Because, I mean, the police don't want you there. The protesters don't want you there. Nobody likes you. Um, and you're just kind of, you're just there to do your job, you know. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, there's there's always a lot to consider. I mean, I could speak hours about, like, awareness and awareness of your surroundings and stuff. But it's, uh, it's, it's quite taxing. <laughs> the whole, the whole process of covering stuff, uh, it's, it's taxing on your mental health, your physical health. Um, yeah, but there's also ways to get around, well, not get around, but to accept that, you know? Yeah. Would you say, you know, if you have to look at where you are now and, you know, for instance, when you just finished your internship and you kind of had a proper role, what are some of the things you wish you knew back then that you know now? (laughs) Um... I wish, yeah, I wish back uh, back then I was a little bit more, I didn't really develop in the sense that I didn't understand. Um, now, over the years, I've gotten quite, I understand people a little bit better. Um, I understand, I understand to also take a breath, um, not to run into things just because like, oh, wow, this is happening. Um, take a breath, look around. Calm yourself. <laughs> That's what my old yeah. editor always used to say. Calm yourself. Calm, calm the situation. I mean, take the situation in in a calm manner. Um, I also now I'm. I don't. I cover everything. Um, no stories less important. So back then I would also. It's always oh, can I go do this big story? Um, like and I'd be bleak, like oh, I didn't get sent to Zimbabwe for the elections. Uh, all the, mm. like now, it's it's fine. Like let someone else go do it. I know how tiring it is. Um, yeah, so there's. I mean, I could list so many things that I've learned and how it makes my job easier. But yeah, I think being calm is most important, and also to take light, take light of the situation, take laugh at yourself. Laugh with your colleagues. The subject matter is often not happy. Laugh at it sometimes. Nothing that I would admit to um, laughing about. But, yeah, take things lightly and approach things in a calm manner. That's something that I've only learned maybe in the past three, four months. 
Um, before then, it would just be run in, start shooting, hope that I get the best. Now it's once I'm calmer, while I'm out in the field, I can already almost picture what the story looks like before I've even edited it, you know. So, yeah, those are some like, big things <laughs> for me. Would you, you know, is there internally, like you said, now you've learned to kind of process and calm yourself before. Was there a time where you almost felt overwhelmed because you know that, for instance, like um, if a story has the potential to be very powerful to the majority of, you know, the people of South Africa, is there this burden that you place within yourself to ensure that you try and capture it as best as you can? Yeah, so I think it's um, it might require a bit of an explanation. I hope you don't mind. So um, South Africa, South African media is uh, sex and tra- tragedy cells, um, and this reflects on us as a population. This is what we consume. This is what um, we want to consume. You know. Um, there, so now that I work for a local publication, it's it's it is a lot of that. Um, the more tragic stuff, the more the violent stuff, the more um, the more like stuff that sits sits with you, you know. Um, but when yeah. you're there, it's not about that. It's about my in my mind. I get there and I'd think, okay. Um, I have to tell these people's stories, first of all, in the most beautiful way possible. And I'll be the first to tell you that there's definitely beauty and tragedy. Um, it is strong. It is powerful. Second of all, not many people want to go do that. Um, I personally, like, I don't, I'm not really an adrenaline junkie. I'm quite a pussy, actually. So I don't know if I can say that, but I am. Um, I don't specifically want to spend my afternoons or mornings getting shot at. It's not fun. Um but how can I tell the story in the best way possible? How can I show what's happening in the best way possible? And that requires you to really put yourself in it and tell it in a way that's unbiased, um, educational, and informative and all of that. And yeah, that's what I try to do. And yeah, hopefully I do. Um, I also, there's no, there's no like grandeur of getting millions of views and all that stuff doesn't really matter to me. If one person says to me, I mean, I'll bump into someone from school or something, they'll be like, wow, I saw your work on this story. Um, I can't believe that was happening. Uh, that's enough. I've educated one person. Their their view of what's going on in the world has changed. You know, well, our country, to some extent, the world. <laughs> yeah. Have you encountered, you know, uh, colleagues or, you know, f- fellow journalists that are focused on the views is that how you you know learned to not look at it from that perspective and look more on you know from the perspective of educating someone um i think yeah i mean everyone that's how companies work so companies yeah i mean we would have a like there's like a strat meeting and across the whole company and it is that's how you make money you know that's what the company needs to survive and pay my paycheck um views are important and they look good and you like your publication might do better than others all of that's important and i wouldn't say other journalists because i think in south africa we've got some really brilliant journalists um across the board across every 
like department or what they cover or anything of that sort. Um, but but I think everyone just wants to tell a good story, you know. Um, yeah. And and I think that's a general consensus. Some people, perhaps, I mean, there's also just news that I don't really watch because it's like heroism, sensationalism. Like, I mean, you can see it even on CNN when there's like a hurricane in America and the reporter's like, holding on, I'm here in the hurricane. But actually, the hurricane's like 30 kilometers that way. And they, so that, that I don't like, um, I've never liked. And that's why also my time at Reuters and who I still freelance for quite a bit, um, that's also very pure in the sense that you are just sending only visuals, copy and images or whatever. Um, and that is picked up by other news outlets and they can use it as they see fit, but you also can kind of go to sleep knowing I told the story as it was. Um, I've not put any of my views on it, you know? Um, and that's, that's just me and how I think things should be done. Um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's always this, um, especially now, you know, over the past six, seven months where news has become such an important role in everyone's lives, where there's this perception that, you know, the news is skewed to one side or the other kind of thing, you know, along those lines. What are some of the misconceptions that, you know, you've come across personally, you know, with people knowing that you are a journalist? Um, Are there any misconceptions that you've come across that you had to set straight? Or, you know, is it just something you deal with and kind of ignore? Well, the thing is, um, so my editor and I were always, we've got like a running joke. It's just people are trash, you know, like um, as much as I'll speak to the beauty of people and whatever, as like, as a mass group of people, people can be quite, quite disgusting. (laughs) Um, So responses to your work, I mean, I don't even read comments anymore because people, it's not your work that they're speaking to. It's not the story itself. I mean, Yesterday, for example, this, I mean, the opening shot of my story, which was quite short because I missed most of it, was a police officer calling for backup. And she was like, Jacob, Jacob, come back with Inyala. Like, these people are attacking us, you know. Um, and then she proceeded to go and fire off a couple rounds and whatnot. And I was just like, briefly just saw through the comments and it was just like attacking, oh no, this fat policewoman like incompetency and um the misconceptions wouldn't be towards me it's just sometimes it sickens me how people speak about others you know like I don't frankly I don't really care what people think about me um I've if people would go and I mean thanks to Trump we live in the era of fake news where anything can be disputed as fake news but this is just something I know that what I what I've done is the truth and I always try and make it the whole truth. Um, sometimes it's not possible, but you cover every angle. You get comment from the people you need to. You um, you know that you're fine. Otherwise, I'd be in actually quite a lot of trouble. You know, um, I'd I'd face serious repercussions if I didn't. So there's uh, there's morality. There's journalistic guidelines. There's ethics. There's all these things that you consider. And if you are following those, then people have no ground to challenge that. You know. Um, but yeah, I also don't really look at what people say anymore because I'll read stuff like that, um, and it's just it's just it's tiring. It's tiring to see that you haven't changed that person's perception. Mm. You know. 
And, you know, speaking of, you know, covering all the angles, chatting, you know, and trying to get every perspective, what are some of, you know, your, if you can name maybe one or two of your craziest or, you know, stories that stand out to you more from, you know, your perspective that you find were either like the most groundbreaking in your eyes or just, you know, very prominent stories? So just prior to COVID, I mean, this year has been, it's been completely crazy. Um, Prior to COVID, my colleague and good friend of mine, Alistair, we traveled to Mozambique. um, And last year I was in Mozambique after the cyclone for Reuters. um, And him and another colleague had gone for the Sunday Times and they they did the most amazing work. I mean, the story of that is in itself like an hour long discussion, but... They went basically to these unmapped villages that had been wiped away. Um, so we managed to convince my boss uh, to let us hire a car, travel back up to Mozambique, and revisit these villages that were decimated by the floods. You know, um, and we managed to track down the people they'd spoken to last year, um, like mothers that lost their children and um, all these harrowing stories, but that trip in itself and those people, that, that that was a big one for me, just in the sense that we also approached in a different way. I didn't do a long format piece. I did four videos. The longest was three and a half minutes. We wrote, we did map, like used maps, maps, uh, comparative images. So a quite in-depth look at life one year after this really turbulent time and it was almost like witnessing the rebirth of a society you know and we we lived with them um on a tent on the roof of a car uh we uh, journalism's not glamorous <laughs> you, there's lots of uh, upset tummies and uh mosquito bites and you know like living how people would live you know um but the moments that I experienced there were, it was just pure human nature in the best kind of way. Um, from arriving to every different village and they would like ring a bell and you'd kind of sit and the whole village would gather and they'd put you on a chair with all the chiefs and they'd introduce you to the chiefs and through your fixer, through our fixer we'd engage the community and just there's like women breastfeeding their children in front of you and all of that. Um, and it was just such a beautiful look at a pl- places where no other journalists, uh, let alone white people, to be honest, have been, you know. Um, the, the guys, our fixer told us, he, he, I mean, he almost cried. He was like, I can't believe you guys came back, you know. I came back and cared enough to spend time with us. Um, and that, that, that's something I'll never forget in my life, you know. It's... Uh, it was, it was such a beautiful trip, not easy, uh, a lot of stress, um, late, late expensive answers and all those kind of things. But it's, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it really opened my eyes to just, despite the sad nature of the kind of story itself, uh, it was really beautiful. Um, and I saw some really beautiful, strong old people. Um, other than that, there's, I mean, Eldorado Park, the I felt quite close to that one. That was a couple of weeks ago after Nathaniel Julius was killed by yeah. uh, allegedly by these police, three police officers who are now, they just got denied bail yesterday. Um, so I've, I'd like to, re- I've been revisiting the area a lot. So, I mean, it was in short violence. Um, 
but I kind of found this community that had been they're almost a forgotten community, a forgotten people. Um, they they kind of put together. They they're formed by a systematic oppression, which is still around in the area. Um, and I've I felt a lot uh, being there over the past few weeks, and I'll keep going back. Um, I'd like to do a, a short documentary on a lot of the problems they face, uh, the drug use that stems from those problems, the the violence, the corruption in the police force. I'm, it's it's a fascinating community, and I feel they don't they don't get their voices heard. You know, so those are two one recent and one that I'll never forget. <laughs> And you bring up like a, a very good point of, um, for instance, when you were in Mozam and the guy said, you know, this is somewhere, you know, like you'd never, well, it's like, thank you for coming back. Like they, even them themselves are like forgotten people. As this, you know, this entire journey and also, you know, being, um, visiting Aldo's and seeing that community in its raw form and not through the process nature that we you know, you'd usually see it. Has this now opened your perception to society in general? Like, how do you feel as a, as a human being? Are you seeing more sides to the coin, if I want to put it that way? Yeah, um, I'd say specifically over the past year, I've grown a lot as a human being. Um, well, I'd, I'd hope I'd hope only in positive ways. Um, but I, I mean... Uh, if I if I had to think about when we were in high school together, I mean I was a complete asshole. If I'm allowed to say that, um, I had a very limited view of the world. Um, I had a very even less le- less of an understanding of the world. Um, my work constantly takes me to places that are unsavory in the eyes of most, um, dangerous or like I mean. It's it's it annoys me when people say ignorant things. It annoys me when it frustrates me when people, for example, someone would be like, "Oh, I wouldn't go to that township. It's so horrible." You know, it bothers me yeah. when it really bothers me deeply when people say things like that because I almost feel more at home in a township than I would doing a story amongst the rich. You know, um, because that's life as it is, and once you've seen that life, you kind of can't go back to. You can't go back to living in a bubble anymore, you know. Um, and that's definitely made me, it's changed me in so many ways, you know. It's made me calmer, it's made me, um, yeah, less less, less likely to say things that, that haven't been thought out. Um, it's influenced me in trying to see the beauty at all times and not, not uh, turn my nose up to anything and also just... Just to engage people. I mean, we. I've, I notice that almost every day we live. There's obviously like a lot of poverty in South Africa. We all see the beggars at uh, at robots and whatnot. And um, like you can see how people don't acknowledge them as human beings. Um, yeah. if I don't. I don't have a glamorous life. I'm not rich. I can't give to everyone, but I'll definitely give them my attention. Um, and that's something that I wouldn't have done close to a year ago, you know. Um, even if if you just acknowledge someone, then it, that means it all. You're not you're not overlooking them, um, which I think is really important. And I think everyone should at least attempt to do that, you know. Yeah, you know, it's. I think 
it's tough what you just did because you kind of broke yourself down from back then you know as a as a youth and what you you know the way you saw the world and now you've been afforded this you know experience and yeah i think that's that's really awesome that you can you know comf- comfortably say that you've you've changed and you you see the world through a different um set of eyes now do you think that do you think that's like the main goal of journalism is to just open people's eyes like is that your core like message yeah i think i think um there's it's it all falls uh, i mean i've recently been reading a book that's uh, written by Eden hartley who's an old writer's correspondence uh, back in the 90s and so on and i was actually reading about like somalia for example um and and like uh, there's so many problems on our continent you know in africa um and it all kind of boils down to in my mind uh, i can't say if i'm right or not but it boils down to education you know um yeah there's people from impoverished areas or people from war torn areas or whatever they don't get the education to think freely um and i think journalism is important in the sense that it it opens it takes the it takes the like windscreen wipers off it just shows you what's happening it shows it educates you to what's happening i mean you can think what you want of it but at least you know um and i think that's 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 what it is to me i can't speak to anyone else or how anyone else views it but i think it's a it's a powerful thing um it's not like the heyday you'd watch like you i mean you read the bang bang club and stuff like that um it's not exciting you just trying to do your job and you're trying to i mean it is exciting but you're just trying to do your do your job get out of there safely um and educate other people so that they can kind of formulate their own opinions from that but it's not coming from naive places and that's how i'd i'd like to see it <laughs> yeah i think i think that for me that's the way i see it as well um i was one never to really you know i was in a household where we back when i was growing up it was more like the newspaper that was our core form of news we wouldn't really watch you know back then on dstv like how we are now so it's interesting to see how myself and personally like our household has adjusted to you know being more informed and kind of just viewing you you view the world a different way when you expose yourself to to different um situations and you know for you over this period how has it been you know cov- covering covid and i know you said it's been a tiring it's been you know quite taxing as well how has it been for you you know what what has it been like from from that perspective um so i mean covid hit you uh, first of all i mean i just got back from mozambique a couple of days before the lockdown um i took some much needed Luckily. time yeah yeah luckily i was i'm not that i'm turning my nose up at the wouldn't have turned my nose up at the possibility of sitting on a beach in maputo and working from there that would have been fantastic but um alas there's news to be covered and the beast needs to be fed <laughs> that's uh, 100% yeah and um covid's been it's been quite interesting um first of all i mean the first kind of stage you could almost see how everyone in the profession was covering it um the first kind of 
spe- specifically visually, was the emptiness, the lack of people. Mm. We revolve around people. We, human beings by nature, um, are drawn to other people. We seek their approval and everything like that. That all left um, out the window in a matter of hours. I, I covered, from the beginning, I covered the first hours of lockdown. I went out and joined up with the military and police and kind of saw it from that angle. Um, and then I even revisited like empty places. I shot time lapses before and after that kind of stuff, um, which was I mean really interesting. And then then it moved on to like okay, how are the homeless affected and so forth. Um, and it was all these angles. And I mean I was lucky enough to go up to the Zim border and to go spend some time with the food smugglers and kind of how the Zimbabweans had been affected because there's I mean there's a massive humanitarian crisis in Zimbabwe that none of us even really know about. Um, yeah. So I, I I didn't have to focus solely on COVID, um, and then it got yeah then it got a bit more real because any journalist in South Africa will tell you that access into places is a nightmare. Um, I, nobody I don't think any of the public have seen the inside of a COVID ward properly, um, because you simply can't get into one. Um, and then I kind of landed my ass in the butter. Um, I managed to get access to the COVID wards where I spent um, a shift with a doctor, a nurse and a morgue worker. Um, this all for an ongoing project, which I haven't finished yet, it's a short documentary. Um, and that week, my friend died of COVID. Um, it was close to my family, and very, very close to my family, very close to me, um, 54 years old. And I kind of then realized like how real it was, you know, and I've, that's why I haven't pushed out any of that footage. I mean, COVID, I'm pretty sure I've had it um, in February already. Before it was even here, it was definitely here last year. Um, it's 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 a worry. I mean, I've spent, I took a 30% pay cut um, while still going out, going to places where you were very high-risk high areas. Um, I mean, into the hospitals, luckily, like, they would provide all the PPE and stuff, but because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to show the side of it. Uh, I, even now, that's why I won't release it, even though nobody else has this footage, because I want to show the full story of life, death, loneliness. Um, it's It's been a hell of a thing for all of us. Um, just how do I tell it in a concise, watchable way? Um, so, yeah, now with it kind of going going back down, I, I still can't seem to forget it. <laughs> Like, oh, there's certain things of, because I, I got the real front-hand seat to the COVID wards, and I'll tell you, I'll be the first one to tell you that's somewhere you don't want to end up. Um, and yeah. also, once you're on a ventilator, a ventilator you, that's pretty much a death sentence. Um, I, I, I think we'll definitely have a resurgence as well, but it's something that's also always in the back of my mind now, wherever I go. There's large crowds of people. Previously, before COVID, I mean... I, maybe be scared of large, large crowds of people because a mob is a mob, you know, and they, like, but now it's, oh, don't get too close. Get home, sanitize. Mm. It's always constantly thinking you're protecting yourself against an invisible enemy now. Um, and there's certain routines and procedures and stuff that I'd have to take because of that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's been a really, it's been a really real time, a real eye-opener, but... Um, I think that one the doctor that I interviewed, she summed it up perfectly, and she she said that this is unforgettable time. This is an unforgettable experience for everyone in the entire world. Um, 
I've gotten a front seat to it, but it's no less important than the person who's lost their job, the person who's um, facing depression, the person who's lost a family member. It's all of us have been infected, you know, not just me, not infected, affected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, firstly, sorry to you about your friend. Um, you know, you say there might be a resurgence and I feel that could be a possibility as well. When you, you know, put so much hours into, you know, covering it and, you know, doing your best um, to inform the people through, you know, storytelling, video, photo, and then you see, for instance, like now that we're in level one, there's um, obviously less restrictions and certain things are allowed again. And you see people, you know, not necessarily taking the precautions they should. How does that make you feel on that personal level, like knowing that you, you know, try to show that part of, you know, the, the bad side of COVID as, as much as you can, like you, and, and there's also the, the way that they justify what they're doing by saying, you know, it's not as bad as it is, you know, how does that make you feel? Um, f- well, first of all, it's uh, the, anyone that says it's not as bad as it is, is, should educate themselves a little bit better in my opinion um it's not it's not the death it's i mean look how it's affected the world it's the death is people you kind of become accustomed to death um not even as a journalist just in life like friends will die family will die it's part of life um you shouldn't i mean it's not something to be feared really uh it's it's the end of your life you know um, but it does. It bothers me when people, when people downplay it. Um, it does bother me slightly when people don't take the precautions. I mean, it's the whole nature of stopping the spread is like a conscious effort by everyone. Um, but at the same time, as as I've said with my like with my work, you take a look at every side of the story. We're only human. It's been months mm. of less money, less fun away from people. Um, everything's been everything we knew and appreciated has been taken away so even though i know like i shouldn't go sit at a bar it's risky i'll still go there um but then i'll consciously take the effort to sanitize wear my mask if i move around if i see other people not doing it that's their conscious effort i might not agree with it but who am i to tell them not to do that you know um and that's something that you kind of just accept you can't you can't you can't change what people do. You can change how they think about things, but you can't change what they do. Yeah, that's that's always the, t- the tough part is, you know, getting behavior, you know, change is probably the most difficult thing to implement into anyone's life. So, yeah, that's probably one of the tougher things to, to do with, you know, all the experience and, you know, covering a pandemic and being in Mozam and, you know, being in situations where, you know, only journalists can really be. What advice do you have for someone who, you know, a, a young um, student who's looking to dive into journalist or journalism? What advice do you have for them? What, you know, what kind of guidelines can you give for them to to help them prepare for this this journey? Given that, given that you haven't really gone through the traditional sense, like you didn't really study it, um, so from your raw experience, what, what advice can you give? Um, first of all, I think you'd have to lose your ego. Um, ego has no place in journalism in my mind. 
um, you you've got to let go of your you have to look you have to analyze everything i mean journalism you take you take on everyone's i mean like you you can be a doctor for a day not specifically doing the work but you take on these people's lives and the best way to do that is to lose your ego and um like be a fly on the wall you know um you've there's, I mean, I wouldn't probably not be the best person to give advice, but there's certain things you pick up. I mean, learn from others, never stop learning. Um, always be aware. I was lucky enough to, I've, I mean, I've done hostile environment courses and that to like be aware of your situations, uh, be aware of where you're going, um, be prepared. So I, I went, for example, I leave home everything the night before. I've charged everything. I've to make sure my cards are clean. Um, if necessary, I've packed like a grab bag with a first aid kit, um, put the body armor in the boots or yeah, pre preparation is, uh, preparation is, is key. Um, but at the same time, preparation goes out the window. So be prepared yeah. to be unprepared, you know, um, take things as they come and then do things to the best of your ability. Don't hang on it forever. Um, things will bother you if you do. And remember to just actually have fun and look around, appreciate the people around you, appreciate your colleagues, appreciate the people you speak to. Um, not many people do get to do that. So find, find the joy in it and find, find the, find, try find the beauty in everything and try find the, the fun, even if it's a farm murder where you really don't want to be there, uh, speaking to those people, yeah. uh, those questions of morality, have a laugh, have a drink with your colleague, man. You're also only human. You're not a machine, you know. 100%. What, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, like, this can be a mentally taxing job. How have you managed, you know, that, that aspect of it, you know, the mental health, you know, the cleansing or the ensuring that you are okay because it is quite a quite a taxing you know amount of experiences you go through yeah so i mean growing up i wasn't always the happiest person specifically before i found my purpose um i battled with depression anxiety uh, millennial disease i call it <laughs> um and uh i i speak to my therapist every two weeks um, I speak to my friends, I speak to my family, I, they, there's some sort of understanding from everyone. Sometimes I don't want to speak, um, sometimes I've seen things that I don't ever want to recount to anyone. It's not their, it's not their problem, but I'll tell my therapist about it. Um, maybe I'll tell my mom about it, for boil over, or I'll tell my housemates, or anyone. I think it's, I think it's extremely important to be open about it. Um, yeah. Like, I'd, I I think, yeah, actually only, only like the, the other day I actually went to go see my, my folks and had a nice nice dinner with them and I said to my mom, I was like, mom, you know, for the first time in my life I'm actually happy. Um, for a while now, but it's actively work you have to do, you know, um, specifically for me because there's images, smells, emotions that I'll never forget. Sometimes they come back and I wouldn't say haunt me, but they might appear in a dream or... Um, I might find out that someone that I'd interviewed had died or something because of the nature of the story and those things sit with you. Um, but the first thing to do is to 
I'll speak to whoever's around that's in the, the capacity to speak to. Um, but I do get quite, quite, I discuss quite deeply with my therapist. Uh, he's brilliant. Um, and it's, it's no longer about uh, why, why, why I'm sad. It's trying to make sense of how you process things. Um, it's kind of yeah. the philosophy of yourself, you know. Um, and I think it's it's invaluable. I think everyone should be speaking to someone if they need to, you know. Specifically, if you if you bear witness to some of the the horrors that that we are lucky enough to see. Yeah, I think, and that's you know, for, and it comes back to us not being exposed to the the behind whoever's capturing the the scenario. So we just see like oh, like there's another story, you know. Yeah, oh, it's another riot. Like we don't see the people responsible for providing us with this information, so we don't know, you know, the struggles and you know what you guys go through. So it's it's, you know, good to hear that you are taking you know the extra care that is needed, and it's you know, especially mental health. You know, it's it's quite a a topic that's been talked about for the past. I would say over the past ten years, it's gotten it's um it's coverage that it's needed. Obviously more is better um so yeah it's it's good to hear that you are taking that that extra you know bit of care for for your mental for mental sake would you say you know with all this experience is this something you see yourself doing you know for a long term or do you see yourself you know in the future when things are you know at your um in your opinion at its best time to maybe journey off and do kind of traditional documentary filmmaking or is this kind of where you see yourself for for the next few years so i think i mean i'm in terms of experience again experience is being built it's invaluable um every story that i do i'd hope is better than the next um nothing's perfect but i've, I've i'm lucky enough that the reason why i am where i am um, well, in the position that I'm in is because I've got a fantastic team. Um, I get a lot of freedom to tell stories in the way that I want to, um, and and that's it's an invaluable experience. I'd prefer to do only long format documentary work, um, simply because you will go and you will cover every single aspect of the story. Um, you can tell it fully without time constraints and deadlines and the desk screaming down your ear, where is it, like, you know. Um, and also, sometimes I feel I haven't told the full story. Sometimes I simply don't have the time or I can't get this element. And um, at the moment, with my editor, he's extremely understanding for this COVID thing, for example. Um, I'm literally waiting on, like, two interviews and then it could be done. They're not really falling into place. And he was like, dude, relax, man. This is long-term work. If there's a flip, like, nobody's going to care now anyway. It's like people don't care yeah. about COVID. Um, and then uh, then again, that brings into kind of, like, calming yourself. Um, but I also know there's... I can't, I can't be running around with all the thugs and um, seeing all the things I do forever. Um... There, but there's, I mean, there's multiple ways to tell a story that includes everything. Um, if, like, I was watching a documentary called Virunga, I think, on Netflix the other day. Um, the director did The White Helmets in Syria, which was also a brilliant film. Um, and they told the story of the Congo through the eyes of a guy that looks after uh, orphaned gorillas, you know. 
um, and that included the violence of the Congo, that included the the oil firms coming in and destabilizing the peace there, but it was all told through this most beautiful guy who's almost the father and mother to these orphan gorillas, you know, and for me that's storytelling at its finest. Uh, that would definitely be my end goal to work on a lot more stuff like that. And yeah, there's a couple opportunities hopefully coming up soon that kind of go, go towards that as well. And this is, you know, one of my favorite things to talk about. And obviously I felt like this deserves to go at the end of the, the, the episode. Um, what gear are you using currently, you know, and what, <laughs> um, I want to say like, if someone is looking to get into this form of, um, journalism, what kind of advice can you give based on, you know, your experience with gear, what stuff is like necessities and what are some of the things that you shouldn't really focus on until maybe a later time? Um, I think first of all, you've got to sharpen your skills. Uh, it doesn't matter what you use, take your phone, turn it sideways. First mistake is always, I hate it when people send me footage with the straight up video. Vertical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Make it 16 by nine, take out your phone and practice practice first don't rush into buying anything it's expensive i'm still paying off the loan for my camera um you, uh, i personally though i use i use sony the a7 III, so i've got a personal one and an office one um you need you need you need a a, a general lens uh, i use a tamron uh, 28 to 75 f2.8 which I've, it's a fantastic lens it's got a bit of zoom um, the Sony for me is a fantastic camera because I mean a lot of my stuff is very run and gun and I can switch between stills and video quite easily um, I could do, I mean it's also it's you see all these guys with like FS7s and all these massive cameras the A7 III shoots 4k you can shoot at higher frame rates you can shoot slow-mos you can get creative um, the image stabilization is another big one I do own I've got a, my personal Ronin, I've got an office Ronin, it's all in my room here. <laughs> um, but you don't have the time to set up these things for big shoots. You need mm. to get out, um, obviously tripods and stuff necessity for interviews. But if, if I'm trying to capture everything, because you're shooting sequences in every way possible in a short period of time. So just like a road microphone, Sony a7 III, I've got a cage, side grip, all that kind of stuff. Well, that's not all that kind of stuff. That's what I have. <laughs> um, and and that's that camera for me is uh, it's, it's phenomenal. It's I, I'm also because I know it so well that it makes it easier to use things. But I mean, for multiple jobs, I'll go with gear that I have never used. And you teach yourself with an hour. Okay, how do I use this? How do I best use this? Um, it takes a bit of reading. You can use anything. Um, on the cell phone thing, we sent cell phones up to Zimbabwe because they're notorious for persecuting journalists there and there's not really much freedom of speech. We sent cell phones up to the bureau up there. They use cell phones only for months, you know. Um, so don't don't rely too much on the gear. But if you, if you want to do multimedia, then get something mirrorless. I mean, Nikon's got some good stuff. The A7 III for me is just perfect for low light um, and it's got the capabilities of of a bigger camera, you know, um, without, without breaking my back. I mean, I started on the P2100 Panasonic. I've got it. It's now, it's a, 
it's a um, it's above my bookshelf where it's now a mural. It does not get used, um, and I feel very sorry for people that still lug shit like that around. You know. <laughs> But yeah, I'm sure you'd know. You also have one, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Sony Sony's uh, definitely... I actually did a shoot last week in um in like a warehouse and I didn't want to use a flash because then it, it looks too staged. You know what I mean? It just looks too like uh, like stock image. So it's crazy. You're shooting images at like 5,000 ISO and it still looks clean. And I was like, uh, this is pretty sweet. Whereas like with previous Canon cameras, uh, can't really get away with that so much <laughs> but um yeah thanks so much for for coming on you know as we close do you want to talk maybe to for instance you know if you have anything else you want to say to people you know old or young you know thinking about uh, pursuing a, a career in journalism yeah i think uh, i don't i don't really have much advice to give really but it's uh, if you if you feel that you can do it, um, go ahead, try things, fail. Biggest your biggest lessons come from failing. Um, I've messed up many times in my career, um, big ones where I've got like people in London screaming down the line at me, and that's how you learn. You know, like t- take everything with a pinch of salt, and go for it. <laughs> And yeah, thanks a lot for having me, man. I appreciate it. It's actually quite nice to speak. I'm not much of a speaker, <laughs> not much of a yeah. talker, more of a thinker. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's been it's been great catching up. Obviously, this I think this is like our first time chatting since since we matriculated. So yeah, it was great to catch up and uh, love the work you do. Um, I think you're doing a great job. Obviously, I've been following you on on social. Where can people? Um, follow you and you know see some of the the stuff that you put out there well yeah you can people can see my snippets of my work on uh, i'll just share most of it to instagram uh, my handle is at bosch mail um, but if you go on the times live website you'd be able to find a bunch of my work um, and on our youtube channel which is multimedia live there's also there's i mean you really search for my stuff specifically on youtube but you'll find it (laughs) if you if you if you care enough (laughs) thanks so much emil really appreciate it man